Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 22, verse 6. And if you're looking in one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, that's on page 306. Proverbs 22, 6. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. The word of the Lord. Good morning. As I look out, I think everybody probably knows that I am not uh, Pastor Jonathan, and uh, he's taking a, a week off, and it's a little unfortunate for me he decided to sign up for nursery because I had planned a fairly lengthy roast of Jonathan at the beginning of my sermon, and I had to cut that back because that's nowhere near as appropriate when he's not sitting right there. So we're going to keep that to a minimum this morning. Um, but in all seriousness, I guess I should blame, uh, blame uh, somebody for thinking I should speak on parenting, probably blame myself, I guess, for having six kids, so people think I'm an expert, um, or who knows why, but I'm going to preach this morning on parenting from, uh, not just from Proverbs 22.6, but from the entirety of the book of Proverbs and from the entirety of Scripture, if you can believe it. Um, so it's going to be a topical sermon that's going to run through a lot of uh, different passages. I believe afterwards uh, stuff will be online if you don't catch it all because I'm going to throw a lot of different scripture references up there as I go through. Before I really get started though, uh, please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for our children. We thank you for the fact that you have modeled for us how to be a good parent. Lord, we pray that you would uh, be honored and glorified in this time, that you would give me the words to say. I pray that uh, the words I've prepared uh, were guided by your spirit, and they're uh, true to um, what you would have us learn today. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give me your words, that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks ago, Jonathan was preaching, and he introduced this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I had never heard of it before, but he put up this slide right here that you can see on the screen. I was kind of intrigued by it because, although I'd never heard of it, it, it rang true to me that a lot of times when I hear a little bit about something, I immediately think I know what's going on. I do a little more research and realize I don't, I don't actually understand it at all. Um, so I thought, this rings kind of true to me. But when I was looking at Jonathan's slide, um, Caleb and I both noticed this typo right here. No, nothing. <laughs> and I thought, all right, so clearly I need to do some more research on this topic because... If that's wrong, who knows what else is wrong? So I did a bunch of research on the topic. Well, I shouldn't say a bunch. I, I read Wikipedia. I read a couple other psychological journals until I couldn't understand what they were saying. I found this graphic that I like a little better, which doesn't have the same typo, and labels a few of the, the uh, parts of the, the graph, I guess. Now, what I did learn was that, in actuality, the Dunning-Kruger effect seemed to be more about incompetent people thinking they're more competent than they are, and the world's most competent people thinking they're less competent than they are, and not so much about learning a new thing, but that seems to be the way the internet has taken it. And it does ring true in my life, so I thought, why not? I'll misrepresent the Dunning-Kruger effect as well. Because in my research on it, I basically went from the peak of Mount Stupid after Jonathan's sermon right down to the Valley of Despair. I don't know a whole lot about the Dunning-Kruger effect, but it does ring true to me. And so, I think since 2008, it's fair to say that God has been teaching me a lot about my faith. 
through missions work that I've started to get involved in since then, uh, seminary classes, adoptions, church planting. Um, over that same time, I've been learning a lot about parenting because I've been parenting. Uh, it's definitely true for me that the more I learn, the more I study, the more I researched, read, and listened to things about Christianity and about parenting, the less I felt sometimes that I actually knew. Of course, there are things that I am certain about. So I'm not here to tell you that I'm, you know, renouncing my faith. I am 100% certain about the, uh, the ideal truths of Christianity, about who Jesus is. But there's a lot of things I used to be certain about in my youth that I'm not certain about anymore because I was taught a certain way growing up and just believed it to be true and then started reading. People have different opinions about some of these things and they seem to make sense too. And then I go back and read the other thing and that makes sense too. And so you end up in this valley of despair as they've called it. So when it comes in to faith and to parenting, I want to make it clear that I'm standing here before you today. I think somewhere along that slope of enlightenment, climbing out of the valley of despair, uh, still holding on to the essential truths of Scripture, lest anybody be confused about that. But there's so many secondary issues, so many things to learn about, so many things to think about. Um, through my missions work, realizing that the world definitely has some black and white, but there's a whole lot of gray in the middle too that different cultures do differently that isn't necessarily wrong just because it's different from us. And so climbing up that slope of enlightenment and sometimes having doubts you think, is it okay to have doubts? Is it okay to have doubts about my parenting? Is it okay to have doubts about my faith? And I think it is. I think that doubts are not a bad thing. They cause you to ask people questions. They cause you to dive into scripture. They cause you to read what other people who've already been through that valley, up the slope, and are standing on the plateau of sustainability have written. So I think doubts can be a good thing. There's a Christian rapper named Andy Minio, who in his song Clarity, he had gone through a real period of doubt and in his song, Clarity, he has these words, the opposite of faith ain't doubt, it's when I get it all figured out. And that really rings true to me, that when you think you know everything, that doesn't take a lot of faith. But when you don't understand how everything works, that's when faith really comes into play. So suffice it to say, to say, having trouble with my words all morning at home, so don't be surprised if I have trouble here as well. Suffice it to say, let me make sure you understand I'm standing before you not as an expert in parenting, not as an expert in godliness, but as someone who is on that journey, climbing the slope of enlightenment, and hoping that some of the things I offer you today will also encourage you along your path, whether you're sliding down Mount Stupid, or whether you're in the Valley of Despair, or whether maybe you're already on the Plateau of Sustainability and you understand all of this. If that's the case, come see me afterwards and explain to me all the things that I did wrong. Now, when it comes to our sermon passage for today, there are a lot of opinions out there. There are a lot of thoughts on what this passage means. I want to read it again, but this time from the ESV, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I put up there for the sake of everybody to see, because the new NIV, the most recent one, is a, that, that Terry read for us before we started, is a translation that kind of took me aback a little bit because I had never heard it stated that way. And so I went back and looked and I saw that, you know, if we grew up in the church, and I'm sure many of us did, we heard this verse from the old NIV, the King James, the NASB, or the ESV. And they are amazingly almost identical. We got the whole uh, semicolon, comma, colon discrepancy between the top three that we're also not going to get into this morning as much as I love grammar. 
Um, unfortunately, I don't know anything about Hebrew, so it'd be stupid to argue about it in English. So the fact is, this is the way we've grown up understanding these verses, that if you train a child in the way he should go, that even when he is old, he will not depart from it or turn from it. And so my question is, is that true? Is that a promise? Is that a proverb that's generally true? Ten plus years ago, I was asked to be on the pastoral search committee at Emmanuel Church. And we had a lot of people send in resumes. We read their resumes and their cover letters. We narrowed the field. We listened to sermons. We conducted interviews. It was an extremely thorough process, as those of you who came from Emmanuel would probably expect nothing less. It was a long process. And I will tell you, at least for me, and I know I was not alone on this committee of seven, when a candidate came before us and they had three kids who were serving the Lord as missionaries and pastors, that was a big check mark on their side. If they came and, well, their kids were Christians, but they were just like regular Christians, oh, okay. But if, man, heaven forbid, they came before us and when we asked about their kids, they were turned away from the Lord. They were homeless. They were on drugs. Um, it was definitely a check mark, to mark against them in a major way. And I, I ask myself now, was that fair? Was I doing the right thing? Was I really doing what God would want me to do with their resume, with their life experience, um, trying to assess their suitability to be a pastor? I was thinking of asking people to stand up or raise hands um, about certain things, but I realized that this would be way too personal and decided not to do that. Instead, I decided to uh, present a little bit of research. There's a gentleman named David Kinneman. He works for Barna, and he's written a book recently. And he spent a long time, even before 2004, but his research is from 2004 to present, on people who are 18 to 29 that were raised in the church. He identified from their answering survey questions, and they had a lot of questions. The book's very interesting about what they think about prayer, um, you know, how they hear Jesus, all kinds of different things. And he was able to group these people into four basic uh, camps. The first group is the prodigals. They were those who have lost their faith. They don't identify as Christians. That was 22% of the, of the children who were raised in Christian homes that were between 18 and 29 when he talked to them. He had a group called nomads. They have a loss of connection from the church. They don't attend the church. They would tell you they identify as a Christian, but they don't go to church. They're probably the people who would say, I love Jesus, but I don't like religion. I don't want anything to do with the church. Um, and then he had a group called habitual church growers. They were defined as people who went to church once a month or more, uh, but they weren't particularly connected in their church. And then he had the final group called resilient disciples. He considered them actual disciples of Christ. They were involved in their church. They were involved in ministries. They were uh, they had an active um, prayer life and devotional life. And so, you know, to summarize this pretty simply, we got the first group that no longer identify as Christians, the second group that identifies as Christians, but they're not, they're not joining with other Christians in God's work, the third group who are kind of on the periphery, they're superficially involved in a church, and then the fourth group that is uh, really involved and is committed to a personal relationship with Jesus. You can spin these numbers a lot of different ways. Um, basically, if you look at the numbers as a whole, you could say you got a 50-50 chance if you're raising a child in a Christian home of having them um, be churchgoers or not when they leave your house. Uh, 
you could say that you have, if you get rid of that messy middle group where we don't want to, you know, it's not our job to judge if they're really Christians or not, you know, let's, let's take the other group, you have a more than twice as likely to raise a prodigal than to raise a resilient disciple. Now, I know many of you are sitting here thinking, well, that's great, but the people that answered these surveys, their parents probably weren't that good. They probably didn't do the right things. My kids aren't going to end up like that. That may be true. It may be that the parents in this group have a wide range of abilities, a wide range of commitment to training their children. Um, but I know all of us who were raised in a Christian home that are here today that were raised with good parents. We know people in our families who no longer identify as Christians, or we know people who have had kids that you would consider to be from a good Christian home who no longer identify as Christians. I have six children. I have at least one who no longer identifies as a Christian. So I can stand before you saying that, you know, I would have judged myself quite harshly 10 years ago. I would be looking at how I failed. So is our passage talking about training a child in their faith, or is it talking about other things like vocation or cultural rituals? Is it a promise, or is it just generally true? As I said, there are a ton of opinions out there, and I can find lots of really uh, respected evangelical organizations who still put forth lots of material saying that this is an absolute promise from God. I, I have a problem with that because I see two major issues. Number one, if that's taught as a promise and you have a child who turns away from God, it must be the parent's fault. That's the only thing you can figure because God certainly did not hold up his end of the promise, I'm sure. So it means you didn't do the right thing in training your child. That could certainly be damaging to a parent's psyche. Secondly, and probably more convincing to me, that I think this argument that this is an absolute promise about training your kids um, in the way of Christ and that they will not depart from it would be that whether you sit here today, and I'm going to use some churchy terms that hopefully people understand, but whether you sit here today really strong on the doctrine of election or the doctrine of free will, either way, this kind of flies in the face of that to me. Parents can save their kids. I don't think that's something most Christians would be comfortable saying. The kids don't have any agency in the process. If we train them right, they have no choice. They're following Christ. It was a choice that was made by their parents. Either way, I think we're either taking away from the sovereignty of God or the agency of the child, whichever one you might lean more heavily on or if you try to hold those both in tension, as Scripture seems to. So, as I shared 10 years ago, I was judgmental about this stuff. I don't know that I'm necessarily right in my change of opinion. At this point, that's really where I'm going to stop with Proverbs 22.6. And you're going to think we're going to get out of church really early this morning. But that's not the case. I am not going to dive into Proverbs 22.6, try to look at the original languages, try to look at the original culture, try to do an expository sermon on that and tell you what my final opinion is on what that verse means, what it's talking about, and how we should take it. Um, if you come to the Christian Education Hour, I think that could be a great discussion next Sunday from 9 to 10, especially if people want to do a little research into that and see um, you know, what they think and why they think it. We could, I think, have a great conversation about that, maybe learn from each other. Um, but what I want to do with the rest of our time, rather than um, try to discuss that which may be divisive, I'm going to say that we are called by, by Proverbs and other places in the Bible to train our children. 
And regardless of the outcome of that, what does that mean? What does that look like? And what can we learn about parenting as a topic from Proverbs, from the rest of Scripture, and from God himself? So that's how we're going to spend the rest of our time. So what does Proverbs say about parenting outside of this verse? There actually aren't a ton of verses in Proverbs that are specifically like this, where they say parents do this. There's a, the whole book is, in a lot of ways, a parent talking to his son, giving wisdom um, to his child. But there are few commands to parents. A couple that uh, I found is that teaching our children is undoubtedly the first theme of Proverbs and the primary theme of Proverbs. It's what Proverbs is doing. It's what the author of Proverbs is doing. He's imparting wisdom and knowledge to his son. And I think one of the key verses to this is Proverbs 9.10, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we're going to train our children to be wise, we need to train them in the fear of the Lord. And if we're going to train them to have knowledge, it says that knowledge of God himself is the beginning of understanding. So clearly, Proverbs is saying, impart your wisdom to your kids, train your kids, teach your kids, but this needs to involve God because God is the start of both wisdom and understanding. The second thing Proverbs has is a lot of discipline. I won't read the verses because it'll scare the kids, but uh, you can look those up. Proverbs 13, 24, 19, 18, 22, 15, you can see them all there. These are all verses that are pretty clear about discipline. I will, uh, I will read one which says this, discipline your children. This is Proverbs 19, 18. For in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. There's a lot like that in Proverbs. There are commands to discipline your children. There's warnings that if you don't, things will not go well for them. So Proverbs seems to tell us that the two most important things for parents to do is to teach their children wisdom and understanding, which is knowledge and fear of the Holy One. And it also tells us that we need to discipline our children when they stray off the course. But I think there's probably more to that in parenting. I think if that was the extent of our parenting, that would be incomplete at best. So what does the Bible say about parenting as a whole. Well, the Bible confirms Proverbs' desire to teach your children. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, these commandments that I give you today, and this comes right after he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, so Scripture is clear that we are to talk about the things of God with our children. We're supposed to teach them his commands. We should put them in places where we can see them and be reminded of them. We should do our best to memorize those and to understand them. It goes on in Psalm 78, 4 through 7. It says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them. 
even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So again, Scripture is clear. We need to teach our children God's commands, God's laws. We are the ones who are entrusted to do that, to make sure they know them and can follow them. Like Proverbs, the Bible is clear that we are to discipline our children. I have here Ephesians 6, 4 in the ESV. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it kind of takes those first two verses I talked about with the instruction and ties it also to discipline. But then we see a new thing coming here in the New Testament, which is not just discipline alone, but it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So we're starting to see that maybe there's something to discipline that isn't just black and white, that there isn't just you do wrong, you get an Old Testament beating. Scripture also commands, beyond these two things in Proverbs, we see teaching, training, and disciplining. Scripture also commands that we take care of our children. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So again, as you go through Scripture, you will find surprisingly few, I think, direct commands to parents as to how they're to treat their children um, or people in their household. I think a lot of what we learn about parenting is implied in Scripture. It's modeled in Scripture. And so to try to pull out verses throughout Scripture that command us what to do as a parent, we love those black and white answers, but they don't really seem to fully exist. So I think we know that we should train our children, we should teach them, We should encourage them along the path of righteousness, teach them the commands of the Lord. There is a place for disciplining them when they stray off that path, but we're seeing now that maybe discipline to a a point or knowing the, the situation, knowing the child. And then we see that we're to provide for our children. We are to give them the things that they need. So scripture at large backs up what we saw in Proverbs. We see it commended in scripture at large. However, I think the biggest thing we can learn about parenting is probably from the character of God. Knowing that God is the perfect parent and the the good father. So teaching and imparting wisdom, God does this through the word, through his scriptures. And he also does this, maybe even more importantly, in the person of Jesus Christ. That's God coming and modeling how we are to live, how we are to behave and the behavior that we expect, can expect from our children. You'll see here in 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God, as our perfect father, gave us his words, gave us his wisdom that is useful for teaching, training, And then my point about Jesus modeling this for us, this is when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. He said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example I'm sorry, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
So Jesus, Jesus himself says, and it's certainly said and implied in many other places too, that his life is an example for us. We talk about, in Hebrews, having a great high priest that's been through what we've been through. We can look to Jesus for the example. Now, discipline. So God teaches his children. Does God discipline his children? He does. I have an excerpt from the passage that I'm going to read, which is Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, which says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have had human fathers, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So clearly, there is a place for discipline in God's character, in God's example, in what God has modeled for us. Oops, that one's on the same slide. Also in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, I did say when we were looking at not provoking our children, that there seems to be a, a point where discipline might become too much. And, you know, does God model that for us? Did he, does he know when that is? And I thought the best example of that is the fact that when God knew there was a punishment that was too much for us, a discipline that was too much, a penalty that was too much, he bore it himself. He took that penalty. He sent his son to do it. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is both grace and mercy. God is perfect. He knows when to discipline and when to offer grace. He knows when to discipline and when to offer mercy. This is a hard thing as a parent to know when is the right time to discipline your child for what they just did and when the time is to offer them mercy or grace. If you're fortunate enough to have help in parenting with another parent in your household, it becomes twice as hard because I can tell you from experience in our house, there are lots of times when the kids do something wrong and I think this is time for grace, this is time for mercy and Carrie says, are you kidding me? This is time for discipline. There are some times when the reverse is true. Not as often, but there are times. Like spilling milk. I want to discipline that. So, what is the right answer? How do we know when to discipline and when to give mercy or grace? See, I think both of these things model for our children the character of God. Both of these things point them to a perfect Father in heaven. Both of these things are useful, are right, and are proper in their proper time. As parents, I think the hardest thing is knowing what to do when. We can probably all agree that a parent who has zero mercy and grace will not be a good parent, nor will a parent who has zero discipline. Neither one will probably do a great job of training their children. Now, we also said in the Scripture, we saw that 
we are commanded to provide for our children. So does God provide for his children? I think he does. God provides for his children, but there's more. I have two passages here, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And in the chapter preceding that, Matthew 6, 28 to 30, Jesus says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? These passages, if you read what's wrapped around them in this area, it's talking about seeking God first, seeking the kingdom of God first, and then all these other things will be added to you. God doesn't want us spending our time worrying about if he's going to provide for our physical needs, if he's going to provide for our emotional or spiritual needs. He wants us to live in confidence that he will and use that time rather to draw near to him, to seek relationship with him, trusting that the stuff we need is just going to show up. And I think as parents, that's exactly what we want from our kids, too. We don't want them worrying about that stuff. We don't want to be, you know, getting letters like they would send to Santa Claus. Please give me this. Please give me this. Please give me that. We want them to seek relationship with us and build a relationship with us, knowing that we love them and we're going to pour out good gifts as we can and that we're going to provide for their needs. So, we saw in Proverbs that we need to train and discipline our children. We see in Scripture we need to train, discipline, and provide for our children. We see in the character of God that he trains his children. He disciplines his children. He provides for his children. So what else can we learn from the character of God? Because I still think there must be more. All of us here have parents or had parents. And we understand, at least at that point, even if we're children, we know what we would want in a perfect parent. We know what qualities and characteristics would make up a perfect parent. So I want to look at some of the characteristics of God. I'm not going to read any of these passages. You can certainly look them up on your own. I think this will be online later. God is patient. He is good and kind. He is loving, gentle, unchanging. He's always there, wise, faithful, and just, merciful, and gracious. Sounds like a pretty good parent to me. Imagine if we were all these things as parents without ever failing. So how do we become better parents then? What is the finality of this sermon? I think we need to become more like God. My big idea for the sermon is the more we become like God, the better parent we will become. Parenting is not always an easy task. Sometimes we need wisdom. A lot of times we need wisdom. We need God's wisdom. The book of James says that we should consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I think at times, parenting could be considered a trial. We're being tested. How is our patience? How is our love? How is our kindness? 
When we face these trials, we know that it's a testing of our faith and it produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And then this key part here, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. My conclusion is that the only way to become a better parent is to become more like God. Just like Lucas shared in his testimony, becoming a better Christian wasn't about waking up tomorrow and saying, I'm going to do better today, I'm going to do better today, only to find that you didn't really do that much better. Becoming a better parent isn't waking up tomorrow saying, tomorrow I'm going to be a better parent. It's about becoming more like God. So how do we do that? Well, we need to ask God, as James told us. Ask God. We need to pray, and then pray some more. We need to read the Bible, and then read some more. We need to understand how God has treated us as his child, and seek to treat our children the same way. I'm not saying we should neglect our children and devote ourselves solely to praying and reading the Bible. But I am saying we need to make sure we have enough time in our day to set aside time in order to do those things. And that for each day that we do that, I think it will reflect in our parenting. Maybe as a thing we can do today, we can look at 1 Corinthians 13 and put in parents for love. Parents are patient. Parents are kind. You get the idea. And with just those first two, I can tell you that I failed. I am not always patient. I am not always kind. I have a lot to work on. But the more we become like God, the better parent we will become. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the perfect Father that you are. We thank you for the example you've given us in the way you treat us and in Scripture. We thank you for the fact that you discipline us and you love us, but yet the greatest discipline of all was poured out on your Son, on our behalf. We thank you that because of that, we can have a relationship with you. We thank you that you seek first for us to have that relationship with you, knowing that you will provide for us as our perfect Father. We thank you that you have done all these things for us, and that even when we fail as parents, you love us. We pray that you would help us to devote ourselves not just to parenting, but we would devote ourselves to prayer, the reading of the word, and trying to become more and more like you. Lord, we pray for the offering, that you would take these gifts, that you would bless them, that you would multiply them, and that it would help us to use them wisely and for your glory. We ask these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.